Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, filling in for Luke again as he continues to get his studio ready down in Yunnan province. And it seems like everything's going swimmingly. He found a nice place down there. And he and the family are all moved in. So uh, Luke and I will be working remotely from each other. You know, it's interesting. We've been working together since uh, 2016 on Mandarin Blueprint and um, really 2015. And in some ways, you could argue even earlier than that. But, um, you know, we've been working together for ages and we've always lived in Chengdu together. And now we live separately. And it's interesting because, you know, we work so much digitally. Even when he lived four kilometers away from me in Chengdu, we still mostly <laughs> met online. So it's kind of funny how there's not too much of a change. It's really a Jetsons world we're living in in a lot of ways where things that were so complicated to do even 20 years ago uh, are now uh, a breeze. So it's always important to be grateful for the things that are going on, even in times as, you know, seemingly um, trying as 2020. Uh, there are still many, many things that are just above and beyond what we've ever imagined in terms of technology. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Um, and we're very excited to continue this project, even at this new stage of our lives. So the Mandarin Blueprint podcast, if you're unfamiliar with our podcast, is a question and answer podcast. So if you have a question for us, you can always email us at podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. And uh, of course, most of the comments that we answer or questions that we answer are from the comment section of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. And so these are the people who are leaving comments directly on one of the lessons. We respond to those comments. And then if uh, that lesson didn't have a video, we'll make that response to the comment a video in the course. And what that means for you, if you've never seen our course before, is that you know how you have those situations in, in a classroom where you have a question and then somebody else raises their hand and they ask that same question. And you're like, oh, good. I, I had that question, too. Well, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is packed with that phenomenon, with that feeling of like, oh, I was wondering about that. And then... There it is, and there's the answer to it. So that's part of the reason that we do this. And of course, it's also a good way to interact with the members on the course. We have the community forum. We have the comments on the course. And so, you know, it's uh, it's quite thrilling that, uh, you know, there's so much interaction on this course. It's really fun. So one thing I wanted to update about the course before we get into the actual comments and questions this week so as I've mentioned in the previous two podcasts, we're making an update to the course where we're going to add a new type of lesson into phase three, phase four, and phase five of the course. And this type of lesson is designed to prompt you to choose a vocabulary mnemonic at uh, earlier in the level. So previously, our vocabulary and context lessons, which were basically they used to be called New Vocabulary Unlocked, and it's a word, which uh, we'll be changing the name to that word or that vocabulary compound word in context. Um, but those were kind of mixed into the course uh, at the same place as a character. So if you un or you unlock a character, that unlocks a word, which will unlock a sentence. But we realized that you need a little bit more time with the character and the word in your flashcard reviews before you see the sentence, uh, before you see the context of the sentence. This is all to say that uh, the sentences are now at the second half of the uh, level, 
And in the first half of the level, we've added in a new type of lesson that instead of seeing the vocabulary word in context, we're just prompting you to see if you can think of an image to represent the word, the two, two three, or four character word, or if you can find uh, an, not an image, but a, a mnemonic device to remember. And so here's why I'm bringing this up. For all the 600 or so compound words in the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation course, we have put together, or we're, we're putting together this week, a Google Sheet, a shared Google Sheet, like an Excel file, that has all of the compound words listed, and then spaces to put in mnemonic devices. Now, for those of you in the community, we're going to share this link in the Mandarin Blueprint community and offer a chance to uh, add in your mnemonics. If you can think of any mnemonics for these compound words or anything comes springs to mind, then we'll share with you and you can write in what you think are good mnemonics. Now, we'd like to get two suggestions for each word if possible. Of course, Luke and I will go through and fill in anything that's missing. But we figure you guys can save us a lot of time because you're so good. I mean, like, if this podcast has taught me anything, it's that the Mandarin Blueprint community is a creative bunch. You guys have a number of great ideas, far more than Luke and I could possibly come up with on our own. And so uh, if any of you are willing to help, look out for that link. And when we share it, you can uh, go ahead and uh, add your suggestions to it. In fact, Probably by the time this podcast comes out, it will already be available in the community forum. So go over to the community forum, which is available in your course library, assuming you're a member of the course, and uh, you should be able to find it. I'll make sure I pin it at the top. So any, uh, and what I mean by that is just any suggestions that come to mind from personal memories, from the sound of the word. For example, um, zhenmen means uh, people, right? And, uh, Zhen, of course, sounds a little bit like the songbird, a wren, and men sounds like, you know, men, like me uh, <laughs> males, and uh, you could imagine a bunch of, like, you know, men in suits, but all of them have uh, the head of the wren songbird, so that's an example of a simple mnemonic that you could come up with that relates to the sound. But it could also be related to how the characters relate to each other and you know, things like that. There's, there's a few possibilities. So we'll uh, share that with the Manor of Liberty community soon. And I just wanted to put that out there because that's actually something that if you guys help us, it will make a big difference in uh, getting th those new lessons out quickly and also you know, improving the course pretty significantly. It'll be adding over 600 lessons to the course, so it'll be very helpful for making what we learn in phase two even easier to apply. So, great. Now, let's move on to the comments and questions. Question number one, or rather, this is actually a, a bit of an introduction from Jonathan Glazier, who we did a case study with before. He says, I am Jonathan from Cambridge, UK. I am a quote-unquote creative in that I help make and create TV shows around the world. I also direct and executive produce Asia's Got Talent, um, and that's one of his claims to fame. Although there's a reason I work behind the scenes, I have been described as a functioning introvert. <laughs> I am 61 years old, and I think I am stuck at around 27 years in my in my outlook. <laughs> yeah, you know, the functioning introvert thing, uh, 
my girlfriend is really like that. She's uh, very good at social interaction. Uh, and you wouldn't think she's an introvert, but she really needs her alone time. And in my case, I'm kind of the opposite in the sense that I'm a uh, I'm like a non-functioning extrovert. I mean, not really non-functioning, but I'm shy, but I'm an extrovert. So like what what I mean by extrovert, I don't mean I'm outgoing because I'm not really outgoing. I'm a bit shy when I meet new people, but uh, I am I, I enjoy people. I like being around people. Being around people gives me energy. You know, and introverts get energy from being alone. And I mean, the introvert extrovert thing, obviously, it's all a spectrum. Like, it's not like um, I never get energy from being alone or my girlfriend never gets energy from being around certain people or whatever. But it's just what you kind of tend towards. And, uh, you know, I just I definitely can understand the idea of a functioning introvert, especially if you're working in TV, Jonathan. Continuing with his comment, he says, I am very privileged to work all over the world, and the one thing I know is that any effort to communicate on a local level is a mark of respect and rewarded, often with laughter, with broad smiles and great relationships. On Asia's Got Talent, we have 17 countries and so many languages. I hope I can at least say thank you, welcome, and good luck in all of them. I can also say happy bunnies in many. <laughs> I have been learning Mandarin for about two years and have never progressed as far at such a pace since taking up the Mandarin Blueprint method. I am dyslexic, and even my own language can be a challenge, but I have the compensation of a really good visual mind, so Mandarin Blueprint was a gift. I was drawn to Mandarin because of the challenge. I love, uh, I, a love of the culture and a work necessity in that I was offered a contract there. Uh, COVID put uh, paid to that. Being able to read the characters was one of those light bulb moments for me. I remember most of most of mine from understanding relatively and differential calculus to pitch to pitching our family geodesic tent. I don't even know what a geodesic tent is, but uh, <laughs> that's good that you've got those those mnemonics for characters so so down. Continuing, this course is just brilliant, brilliant, so enjoyable, and the community around the Mandarin Blueprint method is brilliant. As are Luke and Phil, oh, so responsive and above all passionate about sharing their knowledge. I said in my case study that this course is one I can't recommend highly enough. I look forward to meeting you all, Jonathan Glazer. Well, uh, it's nice that you um, added this to the community, Jonathan, and uh, we're thrilled to have you on the course. I, I enjoyed watching your case study you did with Luke, and um, you know, being on Asia's Got Talent, that must have been that must be quite the experience. You know, that that whole Got Talent brand is. Uh, really huge and um, you know it's it must be quite the um, must be quite the thrill to see people and especially getting a chance to see some people who are really uh, amazing at what they do that's uh that's one of those things that if you can manage to have a have a chance to see great talent all the time it's in my experience that makes you feel better about humanity a little bit so um, that must be great. So thanks, Jonathan, for sharing your story. Keith Campbell in the community says, Hi, all. I just wanted to share something that I found was really exciting. I had added Mandarin subtitles to a TV show I was watching called Cobra Kai. It didn't allow for Mandarin, Mandarin dubbing, but it did for subtitles. They flashed up way too quick for me to read, but I did notice that I recognized many of the characters. This alone suggested to me that everyday speech is probably not as complicated as I think it is. 
The exciting bit came when one of the characters spoke Spanish to her daughter. It was naturally translated into Mandarin. I hadn't anticipated that, so I paused the scene and read it in Mandarin. To my delight, I understood the translation of what she was saying and even got the joke she made. From Spanish to Mandarin to English. I didn't expect a Matrix-style transition with Mandarin. I relish being able to read bits of signs on Chinese restaurants and understand some words spoken by a Chinese business owner in their store. I almost... Clapped for joy when I first heard and understood a shop owner say, <laughs> even if he was only directing his staff to get me a roast chicken. It's a process. No, it's a journey, and the journey is sometimes the destination. Yeah, nice, nice, Heath. I, um, you know, subtitles are a good barometer for how your Chinese is doing in the sense that, um, first of all, that will happen. So if you set your Netflix subtitles to Mandarin Simplified Chinese... If in the show they speak, they start start speaking another language, like they start they go from speaking English to speaking Spanish. Then uh, what happens is that they uh, will put the subtitles in Mandarin. So the only thing you have if you don't speak Spanish is the Mandarin subtitles. So that can be helpful. Uh, and then the slow transition from recognizing a character or two to recognizing uh, most of the sentence to recognizing some of the full sentences in time because of course it's going across the screen relatively fast when you're watching sub subtitles right and then eventually you realize that you can keep track of all of it if you want and so what some of my all of my tv shows that i watch are have mandarin subtitles i just always want that to be the case and so i end up doing a lot of reading while watching tv just because I can keep up with it, and it's just interesting because you've got so much emotional context of a TV show, and then you can see the uh, Mandarin subtitles right under it. And, of course, it's even better if they're actually speaking Mandarin too, but, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. It's good to read subtitles on an English show uh, compared to nothing, right? So um, that's uh, that's awesome. And, yeah, I can really start to feel like these matrix transition transitions. Next, we have an email from somebody who wishes to remain anonymous. It's a very interesting email, so let's check this out. Hi, guys. I was reading the article that was sent out recently about maintaining healthy habits for studying, and I felt it really resonated with me. I graduated from university in 2018 and lived in China for a year until summer 2019. I tried to learn Chinese and managed to get a grasp of the basics, but I was completely lost as to where to begin, etc., and studied so inefficiently. I, I fortunately found um, the Mandarin Blueprint Method course during my final month there and started to learn Chinese properly and kept it up until now. I was also living a very unhealthy lifestyle during my time in China. I had a pretty bad drinking problem, which had... Uh, had been worsening over time. Then add in all the bad sleeping habits and endless cigarettes, etc. This really stagnated my pro progress in anything I did as a human being, and of course, my already inefficient Mandarin learning. I decided to come back to the UK and live for a year and regather myself. Then return to China to study for a year as a new person. Obviously, COVID has changed that for now. I quit drinking and everything that came with it over a year ago and have been working through the Mandarin Blueprint Method curriculum alongside working in a regular job. I have about 400 characters left. This course has helped me immensely, not just in learning Mandarin, it has also helped me learn about discipline, keeping good routines, and having a sense of purpose. 
All this during a period of my life where I have been making big personal changes to become the person I want to be. I'd like to keep this private as a slightly personal, although just to be clear, this person did allow us to talk about it as long as it was anonymous. However, after reading the article about the healthy habits yesterday, I felt obliged to let you guys know how much I appreciate the course. Well, to this person, there's a, a lot about this that resonates with me. Um, you know, I, I think that there are kind of two types of expat lifestyle in China. And because there's a thing that can happen psychologically when you come to a, 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 maybe a foreign country in general, but certainly if you come to China, I'll speak about China because it's what I have experience with. And I've experienced a lot of the expats around here. And, and I've been a young expat. I've been, I came here when I was 23, 33 now. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been a young expat here. I've been a slightly older expat. And I've gone through similar changes. So one of the things that can happen when you're an expat in China is that, you know, you're not getting a lot of judgment from people. Uh, there's... There's a very, there's a real freedom that comes from the fact that for the most part, Chinese people view you in a way that is very non-judgmental. They're, I mean, it depends on how, you, which perspective you're looking at it from, but they certainly aren't like questioning how you live your life day to day. You know, it's not like um, people are frequently, you know, asking you like, so what do you do for work? What do you... Um, like, let's put it another way. I would tell people I'm studying Chinese. I would tell people I work as a jazz drummer. And the only response I would ever get from people is like, oh, cool. Nice. Oh, you're an English teacher. Nice. Or like, you know, there's never any kind of judgment about it. And there's not sort of a what are you doing with your life type of feel that I might get back in uh, my home country. Because I think there's a sense that if you're from the outside, there's not an expectation that you would live the same type of life. Now, I imagine, uh, I'm actually pretty sure, that Chinese people to each other will do this type of thing. They'll, they'll have those sort of cultural judgments like, oh, you're not following our cultural path like, you know, most people would expect you to. What's up with that? Why are you doing that? Right. And so there's kind of a, a, a underlying judgment and everything, which you can have when you're in your home society. But when you're in a different society, people are just less judgmental about that type of stuff. And that's good and bad. On the one hand, it gives you the freedom to feel, well, you just feel free. You feel like free from judgment, which is a great feeling. But on the other hand, sometimes <laughs> a judging, like a judging father or something like that, it can be helpful to helping you sort yourself out. So one of the more negative responses that I've gone through, I know Luke's gone through, it sounds like... Um, the person from this email has gone through is to be more like, you know, focused on the short term pleasures of the moment, because, you know, you can go out and then you go out and you go drinking with other expats, let's say, that can be a very cathartic experience, because the other expats have a similar baseline, sort of um, starting point as you, they're a foreigner in a foreign land, right? And so when you go out drinking and you meet some expats, you get that right off the bat, a commonality of your, of your um, circumstances. You get that they are a person who is willing to take on a risk. They're a person who is willing to 
move across the world in many cases. Like whenever I meet another American here, it's like, yeah, you moved to the other side of the world to have an experience in China. And, you know, even people from Europe or whatever, that's still a long way. So it's like, you know, when you meet people like that, you know, for sure, they've taken a risk. And so, you know, you're, you're not very risk averse. Like there, there's some, because I mean, there's anybody who's risk averse enough to not want to leave, like say their home state, they're definitely not going to be risk averse enough to leave their home country. So, um, everybody has some basic level of low risk aversion. And then you get to meet people from all over the world. Like in Chengdu, one of my favorite things about being here, and the same was true in Beijing, is that I meet people from so many different countries and many from different countries. I know loads of people from Australia, loads of people from New Zealand, loads of people from various places in Europe. I mean, a lot, oh my gosh, Europe, it's like so many people. And you get this chance to have these fun conversations where A, your personalities are similar because you're low risk aversion, averse, you're in similar circumstances by being foreigners in China. And uh, they, of course, have a perspective that's different because they come from a different country than you. So you get this great mix of things that you get to do. Wonderful, right? And so you're having a drink that feels really good. You're having this great interaction. And because nobody is judging you, <laughs> the the Chinese people around aren't judging you, and certainly the other expats aren't judging you, then you can very easily get into what the um, uh, the, the Chinese would say, chi mi, chi mi, which means like you get enraptured by this uh, freedom and this comfort and this you know lack of judgment. And the there is good that can come from these types of interactions, but if you mix it with drinking, if you mix it with smoking, and you mix it with not getting enough sleep as a result of drinking, and you end up in this vicious cycle of unhealthiness, then I, you can go down pretty far. And I've seen some expats go down that path. I think there was a point for me where um, you know I used to make my primary living playing music, and uh, you know of course that meant that almost every night I was in a bar somewhere uh, playing music, and there was almost always some reason why. I could, you know, have a beer and like, there was a point where I was like, geez, I'm, I'm drinking like four or five nights a week. Uh, that's not good. You know, it's like now these days I might have a drink once a week. And like, so, and Luke completely quit drinking. It sounds like the person from this email also just quit drinking. And like, that's, you know, good too. And I know Luke used to smoke, gave up smoking. So it's like, if you can manage as an expat in China to recognize the goods that come from being able to mingle with these other expats and uh, see their experiences and experience that freedom from judgment that you get here. Uh, that's good. Just recognize that you have to temper that with your own chosen difficulties, right? So one of the things I did when I was 24, after about maybe a year and a half or so of, yeah, it was almost two years of living in Beijing and living a fairly, you know, uh, close uh, party lifestyle, I guess you could say, is I said, you know what, I'm going to exercise. Now, make sure that I have a three to four times a week exercise routine. Now, part of the reason I was able to do that was because at the time I had a job playing drums at the Kempinski Hotel in uh, Chongqing. And I was living on the seventh floor and there was a gym in the hotel on the fifth floor. And I said to myself, if you don't start working out now, 
you're never going to do it because this is the simplest. You have the lowest barrier to entry now of any time. And like, it's not like I never exercised before that. I was into sports as a kid and stuff, but I didn't get an adult exercise routine going until I was 24. And since then, I've never stopped because one of the things I recognized is that that's an important thing to have. You have to choose your difficulties. Learning something new, it's a challenge. It's also a very gratifying challenge, like almost all challenges are really if they're the right ones. But still, it's not like you know, you cannot learn Mandarin if you're only focused on short-term pleasures. It's just not going to work very well. You could eventually learn Mandarin that way uh, if you've got enough of a foundation, but you're not going to build the foundation without focus and clarity. You know, clarity is really important and drinking all the time and smoking all the time takes away clarity. Not exercising doesn't give you extra clarity. Like exercising, the the way people pitch exercising most of the time is about like, say, weight loss or something. I think that's a terrible pitch. Exercise should be about clarity of the mind. You know, when you have, and sure, your body will end up looking good too, but that's really neither here nor there. What's more important is that you're clear. Actually, when I'm recording this podcast, I'm uh, just about halfway through a five-day water fast. So I don't know if you guys are into fasting at all. I would highly recommend it. It's very good for the body. It's very um, cleansing because, uh, you know, you give your digestive system a break. You give your cells a chance to um, repair themselves, which is actually something we've evolved to do for years and years. And why would I even bother learning about fasting and all that? Well, it's because I got into the healthy habits. So the other type of expat lifestyle is to embrace the freedom and take responsibility for the freedom, if that makes sense. So, you know, if your culture is holding you responsible because they're judging you and there's less uh, you know, there, there are fewer people around who provide international perspectives because there's not as many international expats around like you live in your hometown or something. And so your your parents, your friends, your society, your culture is holding you responsible. The advantage of that is that, well, they're holding you responsible. So you can't, you know, totally wreck your life without people, you know, saying something. But it also feels a little bit like a tyranny. There's a bit of a prison to it. It's like, ah, oh, I can't get away from it. Well, if you're an expat in China, congratulations, you escaped that tyranny. But don't think that you can't just crash and burn if you forget about the responsibility that's necessary with that. So if you take responsibility and you go, hey, got to get enough sleep, got to exercise, can't drink too much. Maybe I shouldn't drink at all. Definitely shouldn't smoke, uh, especially if you're in China. It's like smoking along with the pollution. You know, you're, you're just asking for a, an a young diagnosis of lung cancer, right? And uh, so it's like, if you take responsibility and you say, I'm going to make my own way, I'm going to learn something new, I'm going to get to the gym, I'm going to eat healthy. It's so easy to eat healthy here because food is so cheap. You know, you can go to the farmer's market, get loads of vegetables, loads of meat, and it costs like nothing. Not to mention, even if you get takeout, you can order healthy takeout and it's still cheap compared to, uh, you know, back home. Use the opportunity, take the opportunity to make yourself a double plus human. You know, it's like you've got the chance. Um, freedom is fantastic if you can manage to take advantage of it. But freedom can, you can also use freedom to crash and burn. And so we hope that those of you on Mandarin Blueprint can recognize that this thing that you're doing learning Mandarin, like this person said in the email, it actually can help you learn about what discipline is. It can help you learn about 
the rewards you get from a challenge and that if you really put your mind to something and you say, okay, there's a good reason not to drink, not to smoke, not to just party away the time in short-term pleasures. But there's, and just to be clear, like, I'm not saying don't ever do those things. I'm just saying find the time to do them where you've earned it because you held yourself responsible to a standard of just health, you know, and, and, and contentment, you know, that it's the other side of like getting your right to do things and your freedom to do things is your responsibility to make yourself content. You know, the Tao uh, is something that I've thought a lot about since moving to Chengdu. And there, I really believe this. It's kind of a core belief for me now. There is no suffering without satisfaction, or to put it another way, there's no satisfaction without suffering. There is no pain without pleasure. There is no pleasure without pain. They are one in the same because they cannot exist without each other. If you don't have any pain, you have no frame of reference to understand what pleasure is. If you don't have any suffering, you have no frame of reference to understand what satisfaction is. So let me tell you something, boy. I'm choosing the suffering and pain on my terms because it's coming either way. Like if you choose the pleasure and the satisfaction first in the sense that you decide I'm going to go drinking and uh, smoking and, and not getting enough sleep first, do you think that the pain and the suffering is not coming? It's coming. It's going to happen. So if you choose the pain and the suffering first on your terms, okay, you're at 9K, you're so tired, but you want to get to that 10K, and so you just keep pushing and you just keep breathing and you keep feeling that pain, guess what happens? The satisfaction comes in. It fills you up. And it's just, it's so much better to choose that first. Choose the difficult part first. And then you move to the the satisfaction and the pleasure. And to be clear, I'm not a monk. I'm not saying you never, ever choose the uh, pleasure satisfaction side of the Tao first and then accept the pain and the, the suffering second. But just know what you're doing. You know, one of the things I say when I'm going out for a night of drinking, which I'll do, you know, maybe once a week, is I just say to myself, tomorrow, you are going to exercise. You're going to suffer and experience pain tomorrow. So just know that that's happening and then enjoy yourself tonight. And so it's like that. And most days I choose to do the suffering and the pain first because then it makes the the evening spending time with my girlfriend or with friends or whatever uh, much more pleasurable because you've gone through the pain and suffering that you chose. So if you want to think about the two type of expat style lives, lives in China, that's a good frame to put it in. You know, you get this freedom. Congratulations. Use it to your advantage. Do not waste it. So thanks so much for this email from Anonymous. And uh, we'll move on to the next question. Next, we have a question from the Pronunciation Mastery course from Lucy Haley. Uh, and it's the lesson, other pronunciations that use the CH initial. Ch, cha, chu, chu, chu. Hey, guys, this course is fantastic. I was wondering uh, if, you're, if you thought it'd be okay to study this course and your rapid acquisition course at the same time. I like to dedicate my first hour of the morning, 6 to 7 a.m., 
to language study, but because I live at home with brothers and parents who like to sleep a little later, it's a bit too early to be loudly pronouncing Chinese words. Fair enough. I also started listening to Coffee Break Chinese podcasts in my car. Do you think that it's helpful to have background noise slash practicing pronunciations like that? Thanks. So the rapid acquisition crash course is it that's a good course to have. It's only an hour long, so I'm sure you'll get through it uh, fairly quickly. And yeah, you can absolutely do that at the same time as pronunciation. In fact, when if it's the first thing you do in the morning, then you're turning your brain on to the types of attitudes you want to have moving forward. And the rapid acquisition crash course is great for getting an overview of like a, a 50,000 foot overview of what your journey is going to be like with Chinese. So every so often, you know, like, for example, if I'm doing an Anki card, I'm on the ground. I'm doing the work necessary to build up the language. But every so often, you want to move up and see how far you've come. It's like a bike ride. You know, you're going for the bike ride. And most of the time, you're focusing on your the pumping of your legs and how far you're going. But every now and then, you check the map and see, where am I? How far have I gone, right? And maybe you just do that at the end. But still, it's like that's a thing that you do. You you zoom out and it's good to zoom out from the beginning and see here's the path that you're on and so that's what the rapid acquisition crash course does so going over that in the 6 to 7 a.m time slot might probably makes sense and then later maybe while you're in the car you can practice pronouncing the chinese words and the coffee break chinese podcast in the car absolutely i've never actually heard of that podcast but i'm sure that it's cool and uh do you think that it's helpful to have in the background absolutely absolutely if you hear something and you have the ability to practice it go for it that sounds great uh so yeah i would i would say anything that you can do that has chinese related to it is definitely not negative next lance kaufman on you did it the final uh lesson in the pronunciation mastery course lance says thanks for the incredible work on this course it may be the best online course that i have taken well just you wait for the mandarin blueprint method i plan to write up more a more thorough review after a few days to let the experience ferment great job guys well um, yeah, like uh, the pronunciation mastery course is a great course. Yeah, it's a very good course. Luke does a, an excellent job of explaining all the pronunciations. And uh, I had a fun time editing that course. And you're well on your way because now you're going to get into the good stuff. You're going to get into the, the real meat of Mandarin, which is the characters. And so uh, keep it up as you move forward. And, you know, just remember that as you move into this new course, it's slightly different from the pronunciation mastery course, but it's all worth it. It's all part of a plan. <laughs> and so you'll see how it all fits together. Next, Rick Santos on it's a word for nyo, which means cow or bull. So what he's asking here is the sentence says, so that is means this cow is fat, right? And fei is actually the word fei ro is like the fat on your body. Pang is more of a description of how fat someone is or how fat something is. And so the answer is yes, you could say han pang. But if you say han fei, you're suggesting it's a problem. Fei is more extreme than pang. Pong is just sort of like a description. You could make a description of Pong of almost anything. Like, for example, my one kitty cat, after he eats, his belly gets a little extended. And so you go, oh, he's Pong again. You know, it's like a little bit fatter, but it's not necessarily the actual 
fat itself. So if you say hunfei, you're saying that the this cow is so fat. Like it's got a problem that it's this fat. So they're both fine. They're both grammatically correct. It's just fei is more extreme. And bihari on it's a word for tian, which means shallow. Curious if the meaning of shallow here can also apply to personality like it does in English. Yes. So for example, the word fu tian, fu tian, sorry, fu tian. So that means uh, shallow as in skin shallow. So pi fu is the word for skin and fu is skin as well. So like the character fu means skin, fu tian, fu tian. So that is uh, the word that means shallow in the sense of a person being shallow. So uh, this person only cares about looks or this person only cares about money or whatever. So they're fu tian. Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. You don't tend to use tian by itself to mean shallow, although I can imagine scenarios where you might. But generally, if you say fu tian, that is uh, the meaning of shallow in terms of personality. Because you're only skin deep. You're skin shallow. <laughs> Johnny Jonathanson on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Tian Dan. Am I reading too much into word character order, or does this make sense in comparison? This is a simple question for me. Emphasis on the question. In my opinion, this is a simple question. Emphasis on my opinion. I'm thinking both make complete sense, but with different emphasis on separate parts of the sentence. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you know, both of these are fine uh, grammatically. I, the second one is a little bit more common. You'll hear people say, But because sometimes you realize you're saying something and you realize, well, this is just my opinion. So, and you'll realize that like in the middle of the sentence. So, Right? So, maybe you were just going to say, but like you realize maybe that'll be a little bit rude because maybe it's not so easy for this person. So, I'll just say, uh, So, I would say that I can't say for, cert for sure that there's an emphasis on the question or there's an emphasis on my opinion. I, I think it's just a matter of you can put them in either part of the sentence and it tends to happen. It tends to go wherever the person thinks of it first. So if they've really, if they know for sure, I'm going to say that this question is simple in my opinion, they're going to start off with, but if they start speaking and they realize, oh, you know what? I should make it clear that this is just my opinion. They might say, right? So that's the kind of thing where, uh, I don't know that there's a specific grammar reason for that. I think it's more to do with how the person's feeling in the moment. And I don't think there's a particular emphasis uh, necessarily. So there you go, Johnny Jonathanson, the greatest name. All right. William Beeman on new vocabulary unlocked for shoudao. Hi, in ni shoudao wo song ni de Is may a kind of tag question or like or no or, or, or not? It just is the same as, as ma. Right, so as we covered in pronunciation mastery, you can. There's different ways to ask yes or no questions. So one way to say, uh, for example, ni. Uh, how about a simple question? A simple, ni kan dao wo de xiao xi ma? Ni you mei you kan dao wo de xiao xi? So xiao xi is usually what you would say for like. A text or something. I mean, 短信 is the word for text, but they, xiaoxi means news. So it's like 
kind of like saying, did you see my message or news or message? And so, 你看到我的消息吗? Versus, 你有没有看到我的消息? And so if you say, 有没有, that structures the question as yes or no. And so in a similar way, you could say, 你看到我的消息没? And then when you say that, it has the exact same effect of putting ma at the end of the sentence or putting yomeyo earlier in the sentence. It's just turning it into a yes or no question. And so it's just a very spoken way to do it. You would never see mei at the end of a sentence in a piece of writing that's not quoting someone, right? Uh, you know, in a comic you would because it's writing and they're portraying people speaking. But if it's like a uh, an article or something and they put a question forward that's yes or no, they'll always use ma. So they'll never use may in that context. So it's very spoken. Michaela Ellison on new vocabulary unlocked for banfa. In the example response, could you also say meio banfa? Is there a difference between mei banfa and meio banfa? No difference in meaning. Definitely no difference in meaning. Just a difference in style and uh I'd say mei banfa is a lot more common. People say mei banfa all the time. Uh, it was just, and it can be, they can sometimes say it in a kind of annoying context. You're like, hey, uh, my computer that I bought here has a problem. Uh, can you help me fix it? And they're just like mei banfa. And you're like, could you at least look into it before you assume that? Um, but uh, that, that, that's a common thing to hear. And mei yo banfa. It's just mei is a contraction of mei yo for the most part. So, um, that's, uh, in fact, in, calling back to William Beeman's question in the previous sentence, you could say, uh, his, his question was, 你收到我送你的勺子没? Uh, you could say, uh, and he said, what's the may in that sentence? You could say, 你收到我送你的勺子没有? You could put mayo in full at the end of a sentence, and that's fine. So pretty much always may is a contraction for mayo. So, yeah. Same same difference between mei banfa and mei yo banfa. Lucy Haley on bonus, the language learning tripod, attitude. Hi again, I start studying Chinese at university earlier next year. Would you suggest working with a program like yours like yours whilst studying? So you get the theory and the actual language learning in, input, you guys are the best. So this is what I did when I was in university. So I learned characters separate from university because university, uh, I mean... I just want to shake them sometimes and be like, you guys don't teach characters properly. Like they just sort of skip over it. And it's, it's exasperating because you're like, this is the most important layer of the language. You guys don't really know how to teach it because you don't have a good mnemonic system like the Hansa movie method. And so you just uh, kind of wing it. You just sort of go, well, maybe you'll figure out the characters somehow. So first of all, definitely learn characters separately from university. Now you're already doing that. And you apparently, I think you said you had six months before you um, are going to, uh, you had six months until you're going to go to university. So that's plenty of time to learn enough characters that you'll know most of the ones you come across. Then bring your laptop to class, have Anki open, set up the Mandarin Blueprint closed delete type of card to make new cards. And then if a teacher says a sentence that's teaching a word, type in the sentence uh, or if you have the ability to copy and paste the sentence, fine, and add a close delete on the important word that you're covering, maybe two. Um, and that way, you can manage to have a um, sentences that reflect what you're learning in class. By doing this, you create flashcards in class, you start reviewing them in Anki, and then you never have to study for tests. 
because Anki will do the studying for you. Like we all know intuitively that if you're in university and you're learning stuff, you should kind of be reviewing it all through the semester. Uh, but we tend to learn it and forget it and then cram it in before the exam. Uh, and that's just going to make you forget it again, you know, because you'll cram it in for the exam and it'll go right out after that. And so the point being that it's much better to review throughout the semester, which Anki will automatically do. So have Anki open, make sentence flashcards, and then occasionally you can also make other types of flashcards if the teacher says something that is not sentence related, but something that you want to remember. Um, and then what I did was I used a text-to-speech software called Awesome TTS. Awesome TTS is an add-on for Anki. So every so often I would take all the sentences that I added and use the awesome TTS add-on to add in text-to-speech so I could at least have some audio. And the audio is okay. It's not as good as a native speaker recording, but it's better than nothing. So if you want to add that in, then you can also get the audio for all of the different uh, sentences that you uh, added in. So that can be useful too. And uh, a final suggestion for how to deal with university, just remember that not all of their ways of approaching language acquisition are best for you because their focus is on getting you to pass tests because tests are the only way to evaluate the teachers. So if you don't have tests, the teachers can't be evaluated and then they don't know the quality of the teacher. But the problem, of course, with that is that if you're learning physics, sure, you need to have a test to make sure you know that formula so that if you're if you become an engineer and you're building a bridge, you don't mess it up, right? It's, it's very objective and it's very academic. However, uh, language acquisition, the way that you would really understand whether language is properly acquired is whether or not you can function in a society in various situations, which a test just doesn't even come close to uh, accurately assessing. So what they're training you for is not actually the thing you are hoping for if your actual goal is to acquire the language. That said, if you do what I said with Anki, you will not have a problem uh, remembering everything that comes up in the semester. So you'll still be able to pass the tests, but just remember that what they're teaching you isn't always, you know, on point. So um, those are my suggestions for university. Next, we have a question from Nick Sims on 用手机还是去银行寄钱? So this is a, uh, a story in level 21 of phase four. Nick says, okay, this is intense, but I actually know many of these characters. How many times should I review this video and shadow before moving on? 10, 25, 50, 100? What's my signal to move forward knowing that I'll need more practice? Well, good question. So first of all, this is definitely a don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good situation because it is possible to spend too much time on any one text and no one text is of utmost importance because you essentially, it's more important to get mass input. But that said, you have successfully downloaded this uh, video with the text tracking and it's, it's there for you whenever you want. And of course, these phase four stories, we're going to bring them up again when you're at 98% comprehension. So what I would suggest is go through it until you're tired on that day. And when you feel like, oh, I just, you know, it's, I'm tired shadowing because shadowing is very intensive and there's 40 stories in phase four. And then there's, you know, much more content in phase five and then even more in the intermediate course. So 
you don't want to get too bogged down. When you get tired and you feel like uh, you've it's run its course for that point, let it go and then go back to it later. And again, maybe going back to it later is just that when we prompt you later in the course to say, hey, remember that phase four story you came across? Now you know 98% of the characters, so try it again, and it'll be a lot easier at that point. So there is definitely a degree with shadowing. Uh, you got to find a balance, but there's sometimes there's a degree of grinding it out and going, really listen to this and see if I can manage to say this whole paragraph just like the native speaker. But, you know, first of all, focus on it at 80% speed for sure. Don't even worry about the native speed at the beginning. Just worry about the 80% speed and uh, do it until you feel tired and then move on. It's okay. You can go back to it because you've got it downloaded on your phone. You can go back to it anytime. And so what I would suggest is dedicate some time in your study that's just meant to be story-based. And if you don't have a new story, go back to an old story. That's fine. And if you just do that every day at some point, you'll uh, get better and better as you move forward. I'm excited for you. This is a good situation that you're in. Lance Kaufman on welcome three things to do right away. So uh, this is the first lesson in the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation course. And he says, I am two thirds of the way through remembering the Hanzi volume one. So this is the James Heisig book that is sort of the nascent form of the Hanzi movie method. The Hanzi movie method is for sure uh, an improvement on the Heisig method, but uh, it is like, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. If it weren't for the Heisig method, uh, the Hanza movie method could not exist. So he says, I'm two thirds of the way through remembering the Hanza volume one, about 95% retention of characters, but I only know pronunciation of around 10% of the characters. How do you recommend proceeding through the course? I can group the characters into three groups. One can reproduce from muscle memory without needing to think of its components. Two, can reproduce by thinking of the components, but I don't need to rehearse my mnemonic. And three, still dependent on recalling mnemonic to recall the components. Right. So this is definitely a challenge, right? Because you've learned the components and the meaning for many of these characters, but not the pronunciation. And you got to know the pronunciation. So my recommendation would be that when you look at a character, you have to first make an honest assessment of what you know for sure and what you don't. And just be harsh on yourself. Like, go, I know this character. I think I know its pronunciation. I'm not sure of its tone. Okay. So what you need to do is take your actor and set and room. Get yourself in your actor and set and room. Now, if you already had a mnemonic for the meaning and the character, well, then it shouldn't be too hard to do that same thing but with your actor in your set in that room, because the actor set and room represent the pronunciation. The actor is the pinion initial, the set is the pinion final, and the room is the tone. So by doing that, you can take your previous mnemonic and uh, add in the Henza movie method element of it, which is your actor set and uh, room in the set. Then you take your components, which we call the props, and you do the same thing with them that you did in your previous mnemonic, but just in this new location. And by doing that, you'll now get the tone and you'll get the pronunciation down, you know, perfectly. So that would be my suggestion is to make sure that you do it first, do an honest assessment. If you don't know the pronunciation, but you remember your previous mnemonic, then do that same mnemonic, but in the location with the person present and see if you can get the person to interact with it in some way. The actor. Uh, if you can reproduce from muscle memory without needing to think of the components and you know its pronunciation, you can skip it. Just make sure that you 
if there were a pick a prop lesson or a casting call lesson or a set the scene lesson that you actually pick a set, an actor or a prop, but you don't necessarily need to make a full mnemonic scene because you already know the pronunciation components and meanings of the character. So if your assessment, when you judge, do I know this character or not is I definitely know the character. I know the components. I could write it. I know what it means and I know the tone and the pronunciation. Well then sure you can move on, but just make sure if, there's a pick a prop lesson before that character. There's a pick a prop lesson after that character. There's a casting call or set the scene lesson before that character that you take those seriously and pick your actor set or props because those are going to come up again later in all likelihood in characters that you don't know. So uh, you can't skip those because you got to make sure you have your mnemonics. Now, of course, if you did Heisig, you're going to have mnemonic representations of different components already, in which case, great, you've got them already and you don't need to do that. So that would be my recommendation. We also have a uh, a, a blog article in the course called uh, Handling the Manner of Looper Method for Intermediate Learners. And that one is very helpful. So if you just go to our blog and search intermediate, it, I think it'll be the first result. Lance Kaufman again on simple final U introduction with U. Uh, after the, is the U after Q, J, and X always pronounced with the umlaut sound the the u sound yes and that's because j q and x never combine with the uh u without the umlaut you know the the u right that is never combined with j q or x and so the makers of pinion thought okay then for j q or x we don't have to add the little umlaut and i wish they had because it would actually be easier for us foreigners to read that but they just went well there's no contradiction here but take, for example, L umlaut U, Lu, and N umlaut U, Nu. Well, there is a Lu and Nu, and so they needed to put the umlaut there so you know the difference. So you've got Lu versus Lu, or Nu versus Nu. And so because there are those two, the latter has the umlaut. And so because otherwise there would be a contradiction. Which one is it? Is it nu or nu, right? So because there's no contradiction with chu, chu, shu, they don't put the umlaut. But it is actually that u sound. So hopefully that clears that up for Lance. Lucy Haley on Anki Dex Inside must watch how to review with the Mandarin Blueprint method. Why won't it let me keep studying? It keeps saying, congrats, you finished the deck for now, but I've literally only just downloaded it. This is because you haven't unsuspended the cards yet. So uh, we have explanations in our Anki tutorial and uh, a couple of other videos around that uh, the, the, the video called all about reviewing talks about unsuspending the cards. So all the cards are suspended to begin with. And the reason is because everybody moves at a different pace. So you could go through three levels in a day and th then you need to unsuspend all the cards related to those three levels. Or maybe you do one character in a day, in which case you only have to suspend a few cards related to that character. So because there's different paces that everybody moves at, we don't set it to something like five new cards a day because what if you don't do five new cards a day? What if you do 10 new cards? Or what if you do zero new cards, right? So instead of doing a set number of new cards per day, we just prompt you to unsuspend the cards in the browse function. So the simple, quick way, quick and dirty way to do that, you open browse, you then select the deck uh, in the sidebar of browse, and then uh, all the cards that are suspended are yellow and also have parentheses around the do number. And so you just select those cards and hit unsuspend, and then they will enter your review queue.
William Beeman on the short story, Thanks so much for your elegant explanation. It was very helpful. So just so you know, I'm doing this course to get enough Chinese under my belt to do some comparative linguistics, but I find I'm having a great deal of fun. So it's really a pleasure. And your guys' enthusiasm for the language and explanations of grammatical points are really enjoyable and informative. I'm sorry I couldn't study uh, with your excellent professors. And so he uh, continues uh, because we asked, what, what do you mean? What are you going to do with the comparative linguistics? He says, well, you asked, so here is way more than you wanted to find out. Ignore if it is too boring, but not to me. I'm sure that it's not to me either. My immediate project is to compare Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic morphology to try to show that grammatical form classes based on Western Indo-European languages, noun, verb, etc., are too rigid. Chinese is really ideal for this exploration because of the fluidity of its morphology. So many morphemes in Chinese can serve multiple grammatical functions. We need some new conceptual categories to encompass them. By the way, this is also true of American Indian languages where nouns are expressed as verbs and vice versa. So in Shawnee, the English sentence, the stone fell, would be more accurately rendered as stoning happens in a downward direction. Uh, just a comment on that. You know, one of the things that the Chinese really understand on a deep sort of like cultural level philosophical level is that there are no nouns you know it, suppose you're looking at something you're looking at a microphone that's a noun right well zoom in what's happening when you zoom in far enough everything is moving every molecule in that and as a matter of fact the fact that we can experience it as solid on this you know plane is means that it's moving even faster Right? It's, it's actually moving incredibly fast. There's a lot of energy happening on the atomic level, and everything is moving. So there is nothing that is not a process in reality. Like That's just an objective statement of fact. Everything is a process. So nouns are just a way for us to conceptualize processes, but it's not surprising to me at all that uh, many languages would not conceptualize things as nouns. So... Of course, our Western ways of looking at things are more rigid. I've been saying this for years, and it's, it's really frustrating because, unfortunately, the world seems to be heading in the opposite direction of what I th think is true. But Westerners have so much to learn from Chinese because of just the language itself. If you learn Chinese, you are going to expand your understanding of what the heck the world even is. You know, for example, China is considered a non-religious country. It's like 95% atheist, but... I don't believe that that means that they are, they have no religious thought. In fact, the Chinese view the world as an organism, right? Like, uh, they're, because how can you really draw the distinction between other organisms in the world? There's organisms in your body. We're an organism. Uh, there's organisms all around, growing all the time, bringing rise to new life. Uh, the death and life cycle, the existence, non-existence cycle is constantly happening and drawing the border between them tend to just be um, conventions of speech. They're not necessarily rea real in reality. So the inside and the outside require each other. The borders between things require each other to exist at all. And so you can make an argument that it is all one superorganism. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the correct way to interpret it. I'm just saying that that's a lot. That's a very common thing to think about the world uh, from a Chinese person's perspective. Like a Chinese person would very be, be very unlikely to say, "How was I made?" 
because how was I made seems obvious. You're just a part of the organism that is constantly in a growth life cycle. They might ask, how did I grow? Right. Because that's a much more interesting question. Like, how does the growth cycle happen? So anyway, that's just a little tangent on what you were su suggesting there. Okay, so continuing with William's response, my ongoing project deals with grammatical aspect, how an action extends over time, imperfect, perfect, and modality, the attitude of a speaker slash writer toward what they are expressing in a language. Nice. Well, geez, I'm learning a lot from this. I am still not confident enough to tackle this in Chinese, but it's really exciting to explore these two dimensions of expression in Chinese. There has been some research on this, but the field is really wide open. I have written about this in Japanese, Persian, Indonesian, Javanese, Arabic, and German. So working with Chinese is immensely engaging as another comparative dimension for human language. That's so cool. Uh, finally, I have written a great deal about hierarchy in language. Language levels expressing status and class differences are hugely interesting. We can start with ni, nin, which is the difference between saying you and you with a an air of respect. Um, the nin distinction, and then the topic explodes from there and has hardly been dealt with in non-Chinese literature. Chinese kinship terms, which are hierarchical in the extreme, uh, yeah, they're, def they're definitely quite hierarchical. I don't know if Mandarin Bluebird folks are aware of the enormous range of kinship terms in chi Chinese with older, younger, uh, and but one of my predecessors, the great linguist, uh, Yu Renchao wrote a definitive article on Chinese kinship and address form some years ago. Oh, I should check that out. From 1956, Chinese terms of address, language 32, 1, 217 to 241. Nice. That's a research paper. William is definitely an academic. I love it. Uh, an exploration of polite speech behavior, Li Mao. The first character has uh, character can be glossed as etiquette, uh, but... Look at the second character made up of badger and appearance. What's up with that? How does the badger get into the mix? More research needed. So I'm very uh, sorry that I am not much younger. Coming to Chinese shows that there is an infinitude. Uh, coming to Chinese shows that there is an infinitude of interesting things to explore, and I am finding it enormously enjoyable. Well, uh, William, please keep us up to date on what you're doing here and what your research is showing, because that stuff is fascinating to me. Um, of course, China is a Confucian uh, society in a lot of ways. You know, while there was an attempt in the Cultural Revolution to get rid of the Confucian uh, history, it failed. Confucius is still major a major part of China now, and like there's a lot of Confucian etiquette that happens. And of course, Confucianism is very hierarchical uh, in the sense that it's sort of like a basic tenet of Confucianism that you must respect your elders because. And, and, you know, it's final, it's kind of interesting because from a Western perspective, we say, okay, yeah, respect your elders, sure, but sometimes they're wrong and, you know, you got to be an independent young person and you got to get out of the house at 18 and, you know, maybe your elders are wrong sometimes, which is true, but it's also like there's definitely also truth to your elders oftentimes have more perspective and wisdom than you have. So when you don't understand what they're saying, it's just because – you haven't had enough life experience to get their perspective. So both can happen sometimes. Yet another reason why I feel that Chinese society and Western society need to keep the dialogue open. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're drawing our borders up a little bit more than we used to, but I truly believe that we should keep our dialogue going. And so this type of research is exactly the type of thing that can help with that, William. So 
good for you. Congratulations on pursuing this. And please let us know if there's any help that we can give you. If there's any, uh, you know, resources we can help with or any kind of research we can help with directly. Uh, we'd love to do that. So thanks so much for sharing, William. That's awesome. Next, we have Christine on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Simwon. She says, in this sentence, I'm not quite sure what the role is of woman. So the sentence is, 最近新闻说有一只狼来了我们这儿. So uh, recently, the news said that a wolf came here, and wolf is lang. Uh, this is from the Little Red Riding Hood uh, story. And so let's break down the sentence. 最近, recently, 新闻说, the news said, 有一只狼, there's a wolf, 来了, that has come, 我们这儿, here. And that's what's confusing to Christine. Why is jar translated as here? Because we don't say our here in English. It's a possessive. jar, Right? And you could say, if you were just talking about yourself, you could say jar. For example, jar might be my house. Right? Uh, my place. Right? Uh, and so jar is our place. So it's like our town or our village or our whatever it's a broader term than town or village it's just our place our spot that we deal with so when you have a multiplicity of people owning something even if it's just a concept like a, an area or you know literally you own the area uh you can use woman to indicate the uh, uh the possession and you don't need to so if you just say woman jar you're essentially saying our here which you don't tr doesn't translate perfectly to English, but it does get across the idea that there's a sense of ownership of here by us. So that's what the use of woman is in that sentence. William Beeman on Tai So this is a uh, short story from Phase Four, and this is so funny. You know, William obviously left that uh, long comment before about his intention to study the. Um, different morphologies of language and do a comparative analysis and you can tell he's an academic here because in this sentence he's just making a minor mistake and then extrapolating from it a lot of things so here's the he says is the translation of supposed to be some talented people start studying i'm trying to get my head around meaning talented is that right if so tai functions in western grammatical nomenclature as a noun a verb an adjective and a preposition a lot of work for a little word no this is not the word it's so what it's setting up is some people when they've just started to learn tai just started to learn right that's so it's what william saw was an incorrect border between the words is indeed a word it's a noun meaning talented people right uh so like google is looking for some to hire right but in this sentence that's not it it's subject and then let's look at the rest of the sentence Right, so it's saying they've only started to learn, only have learned about a hundred words, and they want to start communicating with Chinese people. And so the the sentence is kind of being indignant, like, "What are you what, what are you doing? You shouldn't be 
so shinji you shouldn't be so anxious to speak you haven't learned enough yet learn more there it's the input hypothesis they're saying input first and then try to speak so uh you know all that happened i love how william's brain works though because he goes if it's rentai it, this means that there's this noun and verb and adjective and preposition possible usage of this word but it's just a border issue the the border is between ren and tai not on the two sides of ren tai so uh that's normal for this stage of your learning you know sometimes it's uh you'll be able to tell um and i can see how you might think that this is moshe ren tai kaishu xue but the problem with that is that sentence is it's a fragment it's not a full sentence some talented people start studying what 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 else right it's not a really a full thought whereas moshe ren tai kaishu xue um it's a sort of setting up these they've only just started they've only learned a hundred words and they say can you believe it right they, they, they want to communicate with chinese people directly that's that's crazy right so that's the situation with that sentence lucy haley on bonus four components of habit building part three reward do you have any good ideas for short-term goals? Obviously, the big overall one is to be able to have a conversation in China or read a book, but what do you think are good smaller interim goals for absolute beginners? Well, first of all, I would say that the biggest goal is not to have a conversation in China or read a book. The biggest goal is whatever you're wanting to have a conversation in China or read a book for. Is it for contentedness? Is it for... Uh, being able to have a skill that can be marketable and therefore allow you to provide for yourself and your family, uh, which in turn is something you do because you love them. So one of the things I would say is that even the big goal is bigger than what you're saying, which helps if you know that you're, you know, I'm learning Chinese because I love my family. Sounds like it doesn't connect, but break it down. I love my family. What do you want to do for people you love? Make life easier for them. Make, provide for them. Uh, show them kindness and attention. Uh, whatever it might be. All the things you wish to do for your family. And then learning Chinese can help you do that. Perhaps because by learning the language, you end up getting a new perspective on life. It makes you calmer. Learning Chinese has definitely made me calmer. That's for sure. Because I, I have less of a sense that what somebody is saying right now is how they always feel because they're a process and they're you know maybe they're mad right now and that the reason why they're saying things that are somewhat hurtful is because they're mad or they're in pain or you know um and so that calms you down or there's a big thing coming up and there's a lot of stress around it but then it's like oh well but you know because i know that there's so many possible outcomes and nobody knows what's going to happen next uh, which I feel these are concepts that are inherent in Chinese language. So they, it's just helped me see them more often. Uh, and so that caused me to be more calm, which therefore causes me to treat people better. And that's something that's good for my family, right? Or I learn Chinese. It, t it causes me to be able to interact with people quickly and uh, create a successful business. It causes me to be able to get jobs for my band, which provides for them, people I love, my bandmates, and it provides for myself so that I can create a life for myself that's attractive. Uh, you know, when I was single, that's attractive to someone else. 
you know, um, then, okay, so I, I get a girlfriend now. It's like I can create a situation where I'm making her life better because I'm able to provide, uh, you know, enough that she has security about the future. And then we can think about things like getting married someday or having kids someday. So why am I learning Chinese? Because I love my family, because I love people, because of love, let's say, you know. And so those are the big goals. Now, let's go to some short-term interim goals. Well, I mean, I would say, Lucy, that part of the Mandarin Blueprint method is to elucidate those short-term goals. So have a goal like do this video, read the description, <laughs> and uh, do whatever the instructions say so that you learn this character. Um, you know, you could set up goals like figure out how many characters you want to learn per day, um, start off with something manageable, say two characters a day, uh, and you learn and the associated things with it. So that includes components, that includes picking mnemonics for uh, your pinion initials and pinion finals and tones. Uh, well, you tones you don't need to really do, but you know, pick mnemonics for things. I could include a word that gets unlocked. It could include that word in context. But the main thing is you do something like, I'm going to learn two characters a day. Uh, that's a, the good short-term goal. And then as you master that, you can expand it. You can say, okay, I want to learn four characters a day now and their associated content and all that. And then you can, if you want, break it down and say, okay, well, if I did four characters a day, well, how many characters are there? There's there's 1,500 characters in the manner of Luper method. 1,500 divided by four is uh, what, 375 or something, something like that uh, around there. And yeah, I guess so. Yeah, 375. Ha, how about that? Um, so, you know, you um, learn 1,500 characters in 375 days. So that's over a year. That's not so bad, right? And you can just think about it like that. Um, you know, there's obviously as you move through the course, we're going to prompt you when it's time for you to expand and gear shift into something a little bit more complicated. And that, you know, adds to your goals. But to be honest, just keep have goal because Mandarin Blueprint sets up the specifics. The more important thing is to have goals related to uh, when you show up, have a goal of no zero days in Chinese. That's a good goal. Never have a zero day. Never have a day where you don't interact with Chinese. Uh, you could have a goal like get my Anki to zero every day or get my flashcards to zero. By the way, spoiler alert, we may be switching to a new flashcard service. We'll see. Um, but finish your flashcards every day. That's a good goal. And and what's nice about that goal is it's flexible because, of course, how many flashcards you have per day is a function of how many new cards you add. So if you only add a few, then getting your flashcards to zero at the end of every day isn't so hard. Uh, so it, you know, you can do it if you add a lot of new cards and sure getting your flashcards to zero every day is a big thing. Uh, ben, Ben Metcalf on the course. He's uh he's such a legend. He's doing the five day fast with me. He's a friend of mine here in Chengdu and he's doing the manner of Luber method course. And he was hiking Gongashan for six days camping. And uh, he brought a charger for his phone and wouldn't you know it when he got to his <laughs> tent at the end of the day, he finishes Anki. And I was like, what a dedicated person you know so there's there's goals like that i would say good basic goals to start off with no zero days finish your flashcards every day uh and um then you could think about goals like how many new characters do you want per day but because manner blueprint deals with the specifics you can deal with the habitual stuff how do you get into the habitual goals and also have environmental goals can i improve my environment can i 
uh, have Chinese so prevalent around the room that I study in that I can't open my eyes and not see Chinese somewhere? Uh, could I put it all over my walls? Could I have Chinese playing all the time? You know, there's so many Chinese podcasts, songs, and like just so much that's available. Uh, in our Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World book, I believe it's chapter 17, the last chapter, we have endless resources for, um, you know, Chinese uh, audio, video, uh, reading, and all that stuff. You could do all that. Put Make your environment so that you can't open your eyes or open your ears without Chinese entering into your perceptions. That's a goal. So try that one and see how it goes. Jason Pan on bonus connector, conditional if-then statements with Ru Guo, Zhou, and Yao Shi, Dohuang. Thanks for such a thorough and comprehensive grammar structure as always. I always look forward to these. It's the aha moment that, as you said, allows me to pick the concept up so much more naturally since I've been exposed to the sentence with the grammar so many times already. Yeah, it's exactly what we go for with the grammar points uh, because what we're hoping to do with the grammar points is make sure that you're not just getting some random point that you have no reference to. Like I could say, hey, you know, in advanced Chinese grammar, they'll do this thing that you're not going to see right now and you don't have any cause to understand. Whereas if I show you seven sentences that contain characters that you understand, but maybe you don't quite get the grammar structure. And then after I've shown you those 10 sentences and you've seen them a few times in your flashcards and they, they take up a place in your subconscious and then I show you the grammar point, it's like a key on opening a lock and you go, oh, now I get how all this works and that all those sentences now make more sense. And next time they come up in my flashcards, I get it even more. And then it that's using grammar points to your advantage because as adults, we can conceptualize grammar. Great. But that doesn't mean that you should conceptualize the grammar first and then see examples. No, no, no. You see the examples first, then you conceptualize the grammar and you go, oh, I get it. And I'm so glad to see that you understand that, Jason. Um, that should help with when people are going through the course and you feel that uh, you aren't quite sure how something's, something works, it's okay to just go, I'll get it later. Because when the grammar point comes up later, you'll go, ah, I got it. Nice. Kerry Scott on bonus the language learning tripod part three time. On my home screen of my phone, I just moved the Facebook and the Facebook Messenger apps to my second screen page and replaced with the Kajabi app and Anki app. That's good environmental goals. Our phones are a bit of our environment these days, so consider your home screen. Consider how you set it up. What are you incentivizing yourself to tap on the home screen? Is it Anki? Is it Kajabi app for the Manor of Blueprint method? If it's those, I think you're in good shape. Nice. Carrie Scott on problem initial chu chu hao chu chu fan chu fan lama uh and this is in the pronunciation mastery she says can hao chu be used to to say a drink is delicious for example you could have a really tasty cocktail or delicious hot beverage like hot chocolate thank you you would say hao he because he is the word for drink so good to drink just like hao chu means good to eat and it translates delicious you would say hao he um and that is you also what you would say for soup, by the way, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Sometimes these borders between uh, different uh, concepts, like in English, we think of ourselves as eating soup. In Chinese, they say drinking soup. And, you know, I can't really blame them for saying that. It's mostly liquid. So if you like a tang, which is soup in Chinese, tang, the zhe wan bowl, zhe wan tang, hao he, this bowl of soup 
is delicious to drink. So that's how you say uh, delicious to drink in Chinese. Next, we'll move on to our movie scene shares or movie scene suggestions. Uh, first, we have Rick Santos on make a movie for my which means to sell. And of course, in Chinese, you have mai, which means to buy. And it's a very similar character. And then you just add the sure component on top and it changes to mai, to sell. So it's a very important one to get the tones right. Uh, so aside from the change of location and tone, third to fourth from mai to mai, I, was, I used sure, which is the top component and the only difference in the character for mai, to sell. I used sure as a quick distinguishing mark for mai. That whatever it was that he bought, he later sold it for $10 or more on top of it. Right. So 10 shi. Uh, and of course, if you buy something and then you sell it for $10 more, that's business. And by the way, that's the word for business in Chinese. Mai mai. Uh, there's also zuo sheng yi, uh, which is a little bit more formal, like to, to do business. Um, but mai mai is the very colloquial way to say it because that's what you're doing. You're buying something and you're selling it for a profit. So my my is the process of conducting business. So the fact that your movie gets that across, Rick, is going to help you in the future. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Nyo. The NI actress in the kitchen of the OU set, she draws the front face of a cow, but with only one ear. Wow, is that something new? Nyo. <laughs> nice. Because, uh, of course, the way the character looks, it only has one ear on the side. P.S. Is it still a mystery what happened to the other ear? Perhaps a samurai cut it? <laughs> I don't know the etymology of why Nyo looks like that, but uh, certainly I like what you've done with the, uh, the fact that the one side has a samurai sword, so it might have cut off the other ear. I like it. And then, so Rick was clearly on the, this section of the course. He says, Rick, Santa, Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Tu. He says, a cow inside a temple is really something special because those are the two characters and they mean special. And of course, especially if it was like some kind of Hindu uh, temple. I don't know if Hindus call their places of worship temples, but regardless, they obviously uh, take cows very seriously. And so a cow in a temple would be very special. And I like that idea there for Rick. Nick Sims on make a movie for gun. And this, this character means blunt. Uh, and it's not a very highly used character, but it's a major component in a lot of other characters. George Foreman is in Karen's bedroom, third tone that covers our uh, pronunciation, feeling awkward because he is playing dress up with his daughter. <laughs> She's playing a son in her dance recital, uh, like a, not a, like a shining son in her dance recital and asked him to dress up too. George has a sun mask on with a tutu. <laughs> he looks in the mirror and is as blunt as possible. I look stupid. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely have his sunny George Foreman face in the middle and he's just got that expression and we all know of just like, I can't believe what I'm doing right now. This is so stupid. So that looks, that's perfectly fine, Nick. Stephanie Arapian on Make a Movie for Gun. Uh, so same same uh, movie. Let's see how similar hers is to uh, Nick's. Greg is sleeping off his hangover in the platform tent. The sun puppet strides in on skates and begins singing the good morning song in a bright, overly cheerful voice while rolling around the tent, singing the bright sun comes up, the dew. Arr. Greg has hooked, literally, the sun and caught it in a chokehold using the hook as a blunt instrument. <laughs> Let me be blunt. Sunshine and mornings don't happen until I say it does. Got it? The sun nods and runs when George 
when Greg released him. Greg rolls over back to sleep. Nice. So, um, of course, the sun puppet and skates cover the props. And both Nick and Stephanie used the idea of being blunt in terms of being frank in speech. But in this case, Stephanie also included using a hook uh, to be blunt, uh, literally like a blunt instrument. Nice. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Foo, which means to convince. Kung Fu Panda is cooking in the kitchen uh, at my childhood home. So that covers the pronunciation. He put on his apron so he doesn't make a mess. Yeah, yeah, that, okay, sure. Um, he works from morning until the moon comes out, which you could easily visualize in a montage way. Poe makes Robin yo which is the right bottom component, the best dumplings ever. Robin agrees and puts his wax seal of approval to convince everyone that they are awesome. So I love this scene. It includes all the props, and it includes two types of usages of fu, because fu, like shuofu, means to convince someone, but fu is also like ifu, which means clothes. So he's got put on an apron, and he's also got to convince. So he's covering both definitions there, which is, you know, not an expectation, but great job. Will R on make a movie for fun. Actor is F, set is EN. Room within the set is the front door. The props are Ba, Spider, and Dao, trusty pocket knife. So let's see what he does. Make a movie. The F actor opens the EN's front door. A spider is about to burst in through the door and attack the F actor. F actor pulls out his trusty pocket knife, battles the spider back out. F then activates his Star Trek force field to separate himself safely from the spider. The spider is now permanently separated, separated from the F actor. Nice. So, uh, and then he makes the fen prop, the Star Trek force field. That's awesome. Great scene. Very clear. I love how Will always like just lists out his steps in the scene. It always makes it very clear. Thank you, Will. I like that scene. And Bahari on make a movie for Zhu, which means feet. Her actor is Zeus. Uh, the set is her childhood home in the kitchen, and the props are the Rolling Stones mouth and the rocket launcher. Zeus is sitting in the kitchen of my childhood home with his giant feet up on the table. The Rolling Stones mouth is using a rocket launcher to massage those big old tired feet. That is hilarious. So obviously just make the feet glowing and, and extra big. And I'm sure that they are in your mind's eye. And what a weird thing for the Rolling Stones mouth to be doing. You know, uh, maybe uh, he manages accidentally to let the rocket launcher go at the end and all that's left of Zeus is his two feet uh, to make it even clearer, but still great scene. And Bahari on make a movie for Piao. Keyword is ticket. Actor is uh, Patty, pronounced Peishi, okay, so Peishi, uh, set Tremont House, room bathroom, props cowboy hat, and a large video display. Nice. So that's the top component's cowboy hat. The bottom is a large video display. Peishi needs to buy tickets to give to the Galveston Mardi Gras parade. She's in the bathroom at Tremont House and is getting ready. She puts on her sparkly cowboy hat and, looking at the giant video display, which already acts as a mirror, realizes that she can purchase her tickets directly from the video display. She enters into the room uh, in, in her room number and selects how many tickets she wants. They are added to her room bill, and the mobile tickets are sent to her phone. She's all set. 
I mean, sure. I, I think it's also fine to have like the, the video display print out a couple of tickets so they're a little more tangible and they look like tickets from the past. But everything about that scene is fantastic. Awesome. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Tsiung. The manager, Tsiung, on the silk shop of the silk shop is my J actor outside the entrance of the ENG or ING set. He says, it should be she, really, but because the J.I. should be a female actor. But uh, she says, handicaps, yo, working gong with the silk industry is good for the economy. Okay, so yo, he's he must have used yo as meaning his handicap. Um, oh, right, right, because the component here in Jing is yo, but it's missing a little bit of it. So we said maybe it's like somebody who has a handicap. And so he says, handicaps working gong, which is the uh, bottom right component, with the silk industry, which is the left side component, is good for the economy. It makes sense all around. I'm not sure how all of that is visualized, but I can imagine that being visualized as long as you're in the right uh, location. Nice. Will R on make a movie for Dal. Keyword is Dal. It means to arrive. The actor is the D actor. The set is the AO set. Room within the set is the garden in the back. The props are Sleeping Beauty for the left side prop and a broadsword for the right side prop. Make a movie. D actor is in is in the AO set garden. Sleeping Beauty has been lying there waiting for the D actor to arrive. The D actor gets his broadsword and stabs it in her to wake her up. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty wakes angry saying, you took your time, didn't you? You and Broadsword have arrived late. The D-actor says, a wizard is never late. He arrives exactly when he needs to. Gandalf, Lord of the Rings re reference, of course. That's perfect. Uh, great reference to uh, get arrived going. And it's also very memorable because you'd think he'd kiss Sleeping Beauty, but he stabs her awake. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. I love it. Christine on Make a Movie for Cha, which means tea, as in uh, drinking tea. This came together for me very well using my props, but it might not work for everyone. Charlie Chaplin is in the kitchen of my A location. He wants to make some tea. In my home country, there is a make of tea called Five Roses with a distinctive red box and a stylized picture of roses on it. This is my rose prop, so that's the top prop. My other props are straw, conical hat, and a bonsai tree. Uh, so to complete the tea-making ceremony and the movie for the character... Charlie has to wear the straw hat while plucking the tea leaves from the bonsai tea bush. Then he has to fill the little bags of five roses tea with the leaves so that he can brew the perfect cup of tea. I like it. I think it's all clear. And, um, you know, it isn't necessarily what you have to do to have um, four props there. Although, you know, you can do it with four props. And I think that's fine. Nice. Catherine Nixon on Make a Movie for Ma. It takes place in the living room of childhood friend A. She has her black and white telly on and Michael Jackson is on screen. In her living room, there are three horses, uh, which she is training to copy Michael Jackson's moonwalk. Nice. <laughs> Eventually, they become so good at it that I tell her she should dress them up as unicorns and enter a talent contest. I roll up some cards, stick on glitter and then attach the unicorn horns to the horse's faces with elastic my friend is ecstatic um at the moment magic happens and michael jackson appears in the living room and rides the three horses back into the telly to become part of the thriller video 
My friend is crying because she lost her three horses and Michael Jackson has stolen them. <laughs> well, that's a quite the scene, Catherine. I love it. And uh, I think that um, you'll definitely remember that one moving forward. That's for sure. We'll finish up with two scenes from George Lohrer on the, uh, two consecutive characters. So the first one is for uh, Bang. Boris Becker is in front of my ANG set. He has built his own little corral using haystacks and small brick walls. So the haystacks and small brick walls are the two uh, components. He somehow has gotten megalomaniacal. He's started to declare his own nation. So he's using the brick walls and the haystacks as borders and creating a new nation uh, because uh, Bang's keyword is nation. Nice. And then George Laura on Make a Movie for Bang, which means to help, and it contains the whole nation component at the top. Boris Becker continues to build his own nation, see Bang, in front of my ANG set. He now wants to raise the German flag. He immediately gets some help. Someone brings a towel and some color sprays to help him paint the flag. So yeah, so the, the keyword is help. He uses the towel, which is the bottom component, to raise the flag. Uh, and I suppose he's using that entire fort to be the prop for the top component, Bang. That's probably fine, having a fort of bricks and hay. That, that seems like a decent enough representation of nation as a prop. So there we go. And that covers this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. Thanks for listening. Check out mandarinblueprint.com. And for those of you on the course, look out for that Google sheet that I'll be sharing that has uh, the mnemonic device suggestions for all the vocabulary words in the foundation course. Your help will make the course that much better for people coming in the future. So it's a way to pay it forward. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week.